welcome to The Property Puzzle, the podcast helping you piece together the industry and your property career. My name is Sarah Checky and I'm from Shape Australia. And this season, I'll be joined by my co-host, Michael Truce from Indigo Group. We are both from the Property Council of Australia's Future Directions Committee, who is bringing you today's podcast. Thanks, Sarah. This season of The Property Puzzle podcast is called The Trends Piece. We'll be asking guests about some of the major trends they're seeing in the industry and how they see those trends affecting both young professionals and the industry more broadly. Sarah, um, why don't we introduce our guest for this morning, Jeff Grady from Avia Group. Um, Jeff, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm the CEO of Avia Group and I've been in that privileged position for about seven or eight years um, now and very much embarked on a journey of reinventing this company, uh, uh, really trying to get into a space where we're reinventing what a uh, retirement is in this country. So we're very proud of you know what we're doing, and um, it's a great opportunity to tell you about it. Wonderful. Thanks, Jeff. And so today, one of the things, what the trend we'll be discussing is the impact of the ageing population on Australia's um, retirement industry and property industry more broadly. So obviously extremely relevant to your experience and role. Jeff, in your words, would you be able to describe for our listeners this morning what your view of that trend is, the impact of the ageing population on our industry? I suppose one great way to start this conversation is just um, to draw on people's own knowledge of you know, what retirement is, and they typically have a pretty stereotyped view of that and often make the mistake of thinking that it's aged care. Uh, but you know, commonly their understanding will be um, you know, a two-bedroom brick-and-tile duplex somewhere in a middle-ring suburb that maybe their grandparents or uh, perhaps their parents are in at the moment. And the trends that are really coming into the industry at the moment are twofold. One is there's a huge growth in this demographic over the next, um, pick any number, 20, 30, 40 years, for example. So just to give a sense of scale of what's involved in this demography... You know, there's something just a bit less than 200,000 people who live in retirement villages in this country at the moment. Uh, and what will happen over that next um, 30 years is that that will multiply by somewhere between, depending on the year, 15 to 10,000 people a year. So, it's incredible. So comparatively, that is huge growth on where it's been before. Uh, and so, you know, if someone's, you know, 25, 30 in the industry at the moment... In their lifetime, they will see the number of 65-plus um, cohort in this country go from about 4 million at the moment to 9 million. Mm. So, so that just gives some sense of the scale of what's going on here, just, just enormous in terms of the number of people who need um, you know, specialist retirement accommodation. So that's one thing. It's the quantitative aspect of it. Probably as importantly is the qualitative aspect. So people are not going to buy into the baby boomers, for example, who are beginning to retire at the moment. They're not going to buy the offering that's out there, which is, as I said, brick and tile duplexes mm. somewhere in the middle burbs, you know. They don't want that. It's not what they're really used to using no. right now. No, so, so they're often um, at an age and stage where they're living in a really good apartment somewhere, um, in an urban context. They've got lots of facilities, you know, downstairs. And about the only reason they want to move is because they want uh, access to higher levels of care. What, what they want to see is care embedded somehow into the accommodation that mm -hmm. they've already got or the accommodation they want to live in so that they've got this 
um, and we refer to it as this continuum of care going on, they, they can come into a community um, quite able, you know, independently living, and as their care needs increase, in various ways we have um, services that are able to uh, attend to those needs as they go, and ideally care for them right through to the end of their life. That's the service they want. They mm. want it to be integrated. Yep. On the point of sort of that integrated care and particularly having it located close to where they're living and where they're yes. used to living, that's been a real theme, I think, in the way some of the policymakers have been trying to engage with the problem of that huge demographic growth, providing those services, but working out how those services get provided near to where they're living. Yeah. It's a real challenge with the actual delivery aspect that our industry has to come up with a solution to. In your view, sort of what are some of the solutions that are being explored successfully in getting those beds available near to where the consumers are living already? So um, perhaps I can start in this context, um, give an example of what we're doing, uh, but against a background of saying, in this country, um, retirement and aged care are regulated in two very different spaces. So typically the states have full control over the retirement aspect, so they regulate typically what I'd call the accommodation component of it. Mm -hmm. uh, when people have higher care needs, you know, that funding typically kicks in from the federal government uh, under the Aged Care Act. So straight away you've got two different jurisdictions, largely unconnected, trying to deal with a problem that consumers want to see integrated and mm. seamless in terms of its solution. So, so therein lies one of the first difficulties. Um, one of the things that we've done um, here in Brisbane at Newstead is to put in place what I think is Australia's leading example of this integration of work. So imagine this. We've got a 19-storey tower, and originally it wasn't going to be retirement. It was going to be yet another resi tower in yep. that part of Brisbane, yep. you know, catering plenty to the urban crowd. Yeah, there's plenty <laughs> of them down there. Um, and, and it's over uh, a really busy commercial and retail complex. You yes. know, it's about... Um, 10,000 metres of square space in each of those, full-line woolies downstairs, you know, restaurants, yep. um, doctors, uh, pharmacy, all of that sort of stuff. So <clears throat> here we are thinking this would be absolutely ideal to put our retirement above. Mm -hmm. So where we've ended up with that is to have essentially a 300-unit complex which has got independent living in it, um, but it's also co-located with um, uh, low care apartments uh, and it's also got high care. So it is what I was talking about before. You've Straight away you've got this co-located ability to have all of those services right through to end of life. But here's the really interesting part from a consumer point of view is we put together a contract that says, uh, by the way, you can come in and buy a unit and as your care needs increase, we can either deliver care into your unit or you can transfer to the low care or the high care uh, 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 facilities, you know, as your needs require it. And in a way that doesn't mean, as it would if you lived in a retirement village outside and had to sell out of that to go into aged care and pay your bond over there, we go, no, enough of those hassles. We'll do this in a seamless way so we'll give your, you your equity in the unit to pay your bond so you can transfer same day yep. and you don't have all these hassles. And that's what consumers are after, that seamless experience. And here's the absolute best part. You can stay in that community you know, because typically you're moving into care because you've had an incident or an accident. You know, there's, there's a need. You've got all these other pressures on you. The last thing you want to be doing is thinking about selling your retirement you know, unit to go into and catering with exactly. all the, the issues. So we just say, no, no, transfer sometime. And you're in the same support community that you've been in typically for 10 years. Yep. Yeah. But you said development's a great example. I think Sarah and I were just talking before we started this morning about my view of sort of an emerging trend we're responding to this growing age, the demographic wave, of much more complex built form and much more complex yes. 
multi-use developments. Um, and I won't sort of go into some of the discussions around other examples, but one thing that I find really interesting looking at the New South example, for, for example, we've got that demographic wave affecting lower socioeconomic areas where high-density developments like that, multi-use developments, possibly aren't going to be able to be commercially supported, say in Browns Plains and in the sort of wider ranging suburban areas. Great, the New South example is a great example of how the industry is innovating um, in respect to those sort of urban areas. Yep. What do you think the future is for that innovation and managing that challenge in the extra-urban, lower-density areas? So what I see, and I'll come back to that in a moment, so what I see is an industry that over the last, say, five years, has become much more innovative in terms of addressing what I'd call the micro-markets. Yep. So once upon a time, what characterised this industry, or industries, if we want to think about retirement and aged care, is they were largely, in my view, supply-side driven. Mm. So in retirement, you had a number of large builders, you know, property companies, even our own, previously FKP, who say, well, we'll just supply what we think is relevant to the market, mm. typically the brick-and-tile duplex kind of accommodation, right? And it was pretty stock standard, and it really didn't address you know, many needs, and it certainly didn't have care uh, in it. And on the aged care side, it's it's still supplier-side driven in the sense that government pays the majority of bills there. They have rules about, you know, how all of that gets delivered, and it's very, very hide-bound in terms of, you know, what people can deliver. Mm. Started to free up a fair bit since the introduction of, you know, what most people call bonds, so refundable accommodation deposits, and so there's much more innovation beginning to come into it. But now I look back and I see the kind of examples I was talking about that we're doing at Newstead, but that, that's only part of the market. You know, it's a high care, high value component to the market. I see a lot of innovation coming in in um, manufactured home estates. So, you know, people who want a relatively affordable option, typically on the periphery of the cities, but being delivered in a way that's, you know, got a lot of... Um, good design um, elements to it, etc. So a lot of innovation coming in that space and then a whole lot of spaces in between as well. Mm. So all of a sudden, the freeing up of the market and the fact that, you know, you've got a more demanding demographic coming in, it's seeing innovation in a way that we haven't seen in 30 years in this country. So you think it's the demographic that have really driven... It, it, it's two things. So particularly on the aged care side, it's the freeing up and putting the decision about how they're going to spend their money in the hands of consumers. So you see that in terms of the uh, the RAD, the bonding exercise in aged care, but you also see it in home care. So people can all of a sudden choose who their provider of home care services is going to be. No longer are these things in the hands of the provider and they'll tell you whether you can have a package and, you know, how you consume your services. All of a sudden, this is going to a much more consumer-driven focus. And, and so that consumer-driven focus is coming not so much from the freeing up of regulation on the retirement side, but simply the demands of consumers about mm. how they want to live. And with respect to meeting the demand of those consumers in those extra urban areas, manufactured housing estates are a great example um, um, of how that innovation is happening. Do you think the sort of planning authorities in particular need to be doing things differently or innovating with respect to releasing of land and releasing of supply so that operators and developers can get those innovative products for the Yeah, I, I think there's a lot to be done in that space. So, you know, the general, um, the general starting point in this country is that retirement in particular is a by exception use. Mm -hmm. So you can't pull out a town planning map and go, oh, yes, we can go here for retirement. Almost every single application needs to go in and get some by exception, you know, permitted use for it. 
And you often find a big misunderstanding about uh, what it is that's going to happen in a retirement community. These people are very light in terms of their transport requirements, they're not noisy neighbours, etc. But time after time, when an application goes into a local authority, you see a bundle of objections because people have a stereotype view, neighbours I'm meaning, have a stereotype view about what's going to happen here. And so they object to it just because, well, out of ignorance, I think. Yes. Um, and so that becomes a real difficulty. Um, here in Brisbane, um, you've got the wonderful benefit of Brisbane City Council, I think the most innovative local authority in the country, highly supportive of retirement uh, with an infrastructure credit scheme, you know, pushing development along, allowing extra density, extra height and density in terms of developments, and really alive to the prospect of, of what is needed to uh, house this demographic. That doesn't always happen in other parts of the country. Mm. Mm. Just before you um, mentioned... The, sort of the supply side approach that was being taken to delivering product in the past. And I think that's probably, um, aside from the trend of the impact of growing ageing population, mm. that's probably a practice that's pretty common across our industry. Um, you could say, if you were being critical, it's sort of the 1950s approach to providing any sort of product to any sort of consumer. Um, could you expand a little bit more on sort of that needs side analysis that's going into not only the design of the product and the provision of services, but then also the communication in those early stages to the planning authority as to what are those needs and how is this benefiting the community? What sort of use of data analysis and that vast array of a very wide range of information sources we've got now um, are being used in the industry sort of innovative ways to prove up need Perhaps I can give you a couple of examples of challenges that we've faced. Um, let me talk about perhaps some design challenges that we've incorporated into our new buildings, including in Newstead, for example. So, you know, we've taken a lot of care, for example, to make sure that our whole building is designed to a 9C approach. The logic for that is um, if we're required to deliver care into an apartment upstairs and that becomes, um, or, or it can have what we call a floating bed licence attached to it, that we've got the ability to accord with the federal government's regime about what the design standards have to be in order to deliver care there. So mm -hmm. we're making sure that the whole of building can, if required, be compliant with perhaps a temporary compliance regime rather than just having a by exception use downstairs. So mm -hmm. we're careful about how the whole building works. In units, for example, we make sure that corridors are wide enough, you know, so that people can be showered easily, for example, as their care needs increase. That there are zero thresholds to outside balconies, for example, so there are no trip hazards uh, mm -hmm. as they go out. Because trips and falls are a major cause of complications in older people. You know, it's quite a common thing to do. Uh, we make sure that we design gyms with really good equipment and programs in them so that people can train up and just avoid... Um, you know, those common fall incidents. You know, just having a gym with a program in it can reduce the incidence of falls. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Can reduce that enormously. So so there are a few design issues. Um, one other thing that, we, you know, was previously supply-side driven is about 20, 25% of the retirement industry had this product called service departments. So, mm -hmm. yes, there's small, um, what are called domestic services going into them, uh, laundry, cleaning, uh, meals, etc. But guess what? Um, people couldn't see the requirement to shift out of their house into that. Why would they do that? They were just still living the same way. Mm. Uh, but that was supply-side driven. In, in fact, it was tax-driven in terms of how that product came to be developed 30 years ago. We came up with a really innovative solution to say, well, what people actually want and what they're prepared to do is buy that sort of product, but if they can have the equivalent of aged care services in there right through to end of life. 
So we bought a business called Freedom Aged Care. Mm-hmm. It's essentially a privately paid version of, um, of the government-funded aged care. But the reason people want to do it is they don't want to feel institutionalised, they want to live the way that they want to live, yep. but be able to uh, be taken on that care journey with all of their needs provided for. So the moment that we introduced that kind of product, so put full care services as well as the domestic care services in a service department, guess what? They could be sold for twice the price mm. uh, and all of a sudden the uh, occupancy issue was solved in them. Yes. So, so that's getting away from the supply side mentality to go, actually, what is the consumer demanding? What, what, what's the bit of the puzzle that we're missing here yeah. to fix all of this up? And for that, it was care services. It seems like a common theme in where the industry, property industry, is going to innovate is the provision of this wider range of services to meet consumer demand, as well as changing the built form design and responding to perhaps short term trends like the New Set example, where there is great location, great supply available that can be implemented and used. Medical care provision, I understand, is one of the other sort of key defining themes that that runs through um, those issues. How is the industry making sure whether a customer wants to live independently or as a part of that more sort of structured facility that they've got access to that increasing complexity of medical care needs um, insofar as on-site building design to provide for third-party service providers or is there a matter of co-location? How's the industry integrating medical care needs into those built-form designs? So um, slowly, I would say, um, and... I think people are still getting used to what's required. So what you've, what you've got is an industry that's dominated by um, property expertise and people who are good at building, you know, the accommodation module, but have up until recently seen the care provision as too risky to mm. get involved with. So a lot of the solutions have been, well, we won't do it, yep. or we will have a co-located special, specialist facility next door. The issue with that is that it doesn't really talk to the consumer need. They want something that's seamless, right? Mm -hmm. So there are a few providers now who are getting increasingly involved with bringing care in, but it is um, quite an expertise of its own and you need to get it right and it's it's quite complex. But at the end of the day, it's what consumers want. So it's what you need to focus on in terms of bringing the service there. Now, having said that, not all the market wants that. Not all the market is prepared to pay for it. Mm -hmm. But increasingly, you're seeing providers like us wanting to get involved in that space and giving the service that consumers do want. It seems to me that a big challenge here is integrating perhaps the property industry and medical services industries to understand how those can be co-located and how those cut the continuum of customer need through their life, whether it be accommodation services or whether it be medical services, how they can come together. That seems to me to be a real challenge. That's right. But Australian, look, Australians are really innovative. So Australians, as you know, the providers of these services are very innovative and as customers, they're very open to receiving new forms of offering. Mm. Sometimes they don't understand that they exist, so there's a bit of an education exercise to go, guess what, these products are available. Uh, but Australians are very open to that kind of innovation and that's why we've seen Newstead, um, even in a soft property market, sell f- you know, relatively quickly and for really good prices. Mm. And uh, how is technology helping you solve some of these problems? Technology is really, really important because, um, you know, let's just go back to that freedom example that I talked about before. Um, a lot of people would be familiar with the fact that, you know, their, their grandmother or their mother might have a pendant, for example, and if she feels um, vulnerable in some way, she feels the need for care to be provided, you press that. And so that's well and good, but guess what? You get forgetful and, you know, you may not have that on. 
you might be in the shower and take it off, for example. So an example of the kind of um, innovation that we've done is a Google Home-style application. So if you've forgotten to put this thing on, if you're in the shower, if you fall over and you need help, you call out. And all of a sudden, Google Home helps connect you with you know, the alert service that otherwise wow. would be there when you press the buzzer and you get it. Yep. So, Fantastic. And, and it's available... Well, it's, it's, it's important in other ways too. So Google Home allows the daughter to call in and go, Mum, how are you going? You know, is everything OK today? Um, we've got mats, you know, the sort of someone hasn't gotten out of bed at their normal time, so you might establish, you know, a bit of um, artificial intelligence around this, but you know generally the patterns that someone will do if they're not standing on their mat using the bathroom, turning lights on at a particular time, you go, mm, maybe that's a prompt to go and see what's happening and do a welfare check. Yeah, that's a very exciting sort of notion that, that so much technology can be brought into. Well, well what it is, is is it's not intrusive in their lives mm-hmm. either. So this... this um, monitoring can be done very subtly in the background. Families can remain intimately connected. And it's not like the old age care environment where you must leave the door open all the time so that staff can do yep. the visual checks yep. on you. It provides the transparency for a demographic which are quite often ignored but without the intrusive... Absolutely. Of having nurse turning up exactly. you know, routinely. And well, and feeling patronised. Exactly. You know? Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Sarah, did you have other questions? Yeah, so... I'm really interested to get your views, Jeff, on uh, some of the, the legislative changes. So you mentioned at the very start of this discussion that uh, the, the numbers of people entering um, retirement living and aged care are, are going to grow astronomically in the future. Do you think our state and federal governments are prepared for that? Not really. Not really. So um, if we think about this, just think about, you know, the funding exercise that's there at the moment from the federal government's perspective in terms of, and the numbers are similar, in terms of home care packages. So at the moment, there's something like 90,000 people around this country on home care packages. Guess what the wait list is? Another 120,000. So yeah, so that that demand is not being met. Uh, There are similar issues in and around the provision of bed licences. So, you know, one of the important things that is almost guaranteed to come out of the current Royal Commission will be a requirement that people need to pay more towards their own cost of care. So we've got these um, rules at the moment that say subject to means testing. Basically, people only need to pay about 66000 towards their own cost of care. I think that will be either greatly increased or eliminated. You know, if government has a choice between whether the kids get to inherit the money or government gets to pay the bill, guess which way they're going to go mm. in relation to that choice. Um, in terms of the state governments and retirement, I think the biggest change would be to have a more... Uh, open system in terms of getting, you know, whatever permissions are required to put retirement product on the ground. So, you know, the planning process and the ability to get a zoning-style approval to put retirement in a particular place I think needs a more uh, innovative approach, similar perhaps to what Brisbane is already doing. Mm. Excellent. So you touched on the the Commission with results due this week at the time of recording. Uh, What do you think will come out of that? Um, I think it will uh, focus very heavily on um, increased resourcing into the industry, uh, particularly, you know, increased human resourcing into it, increased standards and monitoring, perhaps a freeing up, but but first and foremost, a greater uh, requirement that people contribute towards the cost of their own care. Mm-hmm. There's, there's only so much that government can do in this space and the demography is just overwhelming. Unless people pay for their own care, the needs can't be addressed. And do you think the consumer is prepared for that? No, I don't think they are. Typically, this is an exercise where people find out about, you know, all of these challenges like 
the whole world around funding of aged care and what you're entitled to and what you're not is just a labyrinth and people come to it generally when their mum is in her early 80s and it's often pursued by a daughter who's in her mid-50s, for example, and they just get bamboozled by the complexity of all mm. of this. So, no, I don't think most people do understand it. So there needs to be a simplification of the process. Absolutely, the absolutely. How do you think those funding changes will affect the property industry, Jeff? I think it will open up a huge... Um, a little bit like we were talking about before in terms of uh, the bonding exercise. So the moment, for example... Uh, the government allowed bonds to uh, be taken for aged care facilities. Innovation came in, private uh, property sector stepped in. All of a sudden you saw uh, just this overwhelming growth in terms of different designs, better designs, you know, better innovation mm. in the sector. So um, government will undoubtedly rely on the private sector to help solve um, you know, this issue. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And has the NDIS had an impact? Not really for us. So... Um, I understand that it's there and it's a funding source, you know, for particular needs, but it's not something that we really concentrate on at the moment. Fantastic. And just to round up the uh, assisted dying laws that have been passed in Victoria and are being negotiated elsewhere, what are your views on those? So um, our uh, position is that this is really a decision for the resident, as the legislation there requires, a decision for uh, the resident and uh, their medical um, advisor, their doctor. Uh, and... Um, we don't get involved in that exercise. It's simply not appropriate. Um, if they ask to be directed to someone who can help them naturally, we, we provide that. But that conversation, those set of decisions are undertaken between the resident and their doctor. And sometimes it can be that they're assisted to dying in one of our communities and we may not even know mm. until the whole process is concluded. Mm. I think what's important out of all of that is their dignity is maintained. Yep. Mm. Which is, I guess... Um, very true to what you've been saying, as in they want to maintain their lifestyle and that continuity of the life they had before they entered aged care, and um, that's uh, very coherent with that. Yeah, so I think at the end of the day, it is, as it should be, about the consumer, about mm -hmm. the customer. Mm -hmm. Jeff, it sounds like there's a lot of complexities in bringing together particularly different stakeholders and different decision-makers. For young professionals now, sort of in the earlier stage of their career, what advice would you have for them as far as things that they need to keep front of mind to keep engaged with um, the, those changes, integration and the trend we're talking about? I think perhaps coming back to the start of the conversation to, you know, Property Council, for example, has wonderful, you know, um, uh, annual get-togethers, conferences on this, which are highly informative, but it's really keeping on top of the demography, so understanding that there is a huge growth in this area. Uh, and, you know, it used to be once upon a time that being involved with retirement or aged care was seen as very much a second-hand option compared yeah. to designing, you know, glitzy apartment towers. But there is really good work to be done in this space. So keep on top of the demography. Understand that there is a real um, emerging demand for good product in this space that is as exciting as doing a residential building for 30 and 40 and 50-year-olds, yes. Yeah. Uh, but understand that there's also a degree of complexity and an exciting degree of complexity in this in terms of the health services that can come in. So if you want to be in, involved in the design of something that's, that's really quite sophisticated in terms of how that product needs to work, like, it's better than designing good yeah. apartment yeah. buildings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've certainly heard plenty of young architects describing the process of designing a couple of hundred uh, A, B and C design blocks uh, mm. over, over a few months. Yeah, so now get stuck into the challenges, my advice. And how do they keep ahead of, um, of the trends in, in the sector? 
So there's a, there's a couple of really good publications. So PCA do a very good job in this area, just in terms of um, you know publishing what this data is all about. But there are equally a couple of good industry journals and newsletters, etc., out there that um, that they can easily subscribe to. Fantastic, Jeff. One of the um, final questions we like to ask um, in this series is a nailed it or failed it question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be as controversial as controversial <laughs> as you want. In your mind, um, what are some examples, historical for non-controversial, maybe current or very near term for more controversial, um, examples of how the industry is nailing it or failing it with respect to dealing with these trends? I know we've talked a lot about um, these elements, but this is sort of, well, tying it together in a really practical, contextualised example. Um, and I, I guess Newstead was definitely a nailed it version. Well, that's where I was going to go. <laughs> yeah, Newstead, I think, is the nailed it example. But think about the challenge. Like, there are lots of sleepless nights looking at the ceiling wondering about this. Uh, One of the challenges in retirement is, unlike um, residential, you can't get binding contracts at pre-sale, right? Mm. So here we are, $200 million development, never been done in this country before. Mm. Lots of sophisticated designs. So we think from first principles this is all good and it should work, but you don't have any precedence to know that it will work, right? Mm. So um, the fact that it then did work uh, and that, it was really wonderful, for example, we did nurturing functions for some of our early buyers in a semi-completed building, and time after time they would say, in their own words, but talk in terms of what we designed into that building, i.e. the integration of all the care services in. So I thought mm-hmm. from that very time, I think we've got this right, but you know, the sales have to happen, so it was good to see it. I think that's the nailed example. Yeah. Um, the thing that hasn't been nailed, and the Royal Commission speaks to it, is... Um, the way we deliver aged care in this country plainly doesn't work well. Mm. Uh, so it's, you know, there are any number of instances of failures, and no system is perfect, but there are too many instances where um, human dignity hasn't been respected and, and looked after, and, and we all need to stand back and go, well, maybe I wasn't involved with that, but it's symptomatic of what can be improved. So, mm. so that's the big fail, that example, I think. Mm. There's, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good stuff happening in that space, but it can be better. Mm. Do you think we can learn from any overseas markets? I actually think in the retirement space, Australia and New Zealand are world leaders. Wonderful. Absolutely world leaders. So, um, you know, there are various... And and we've had people, for example, who've just gone, who've left us, gone to the UK and just been astonished at how far ahead Australia is in terms of these services. And New Zealand, I think, originally has led the world in in this space, particularly Mm. retirement. So... You know, we shouldn't have the cultural cringe. We shouldn't think it's naturally done better elsewhere. Um, we are actually pretty good at it, but we can always be better too. That's a superb point to make, that, yeah, particularly for our young professionals and our intermediate professionals, knowing that if you've got the drive and you want to get into the complexity of the sector, yep. it's all here waiting for you. This is not the 60s where you need to go to London to, you yep. know, <laughs> to live life to its full. You know, yeah. Australia is a pretty good place to be. Yeah, fantastic, Jeff. Well, thanks very much for your time today. I think um, it's been a pleasure. Been a great discussion. Thank you very much. Thanks. And Sarah, thank you as well for um, moderating. And thanks.